Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1290, entitled, actually I want to do that again, 1290, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, entitled Miss Fisher Murderously... Murderously Horrible After Party. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is Miss Fisher and the Pod of Tears. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are. (laughs) So why is our title there like that? that? What's our title riffing off, Megan? Well, today we're going to be covering uh, the Miss Fisher movie, Crypt of Tears, and also I'm going to take a little look at a video game that I've played recently called After Party. And so obviously we had to mash all those together into that uh, slightly alarming but charming title for the show. So I think we'll start off with my, let's crack on with my game review. All right. So I sort of, I gave a little teaser of this uh, probably maybe a couple of months ago before it had actually come out. And it's been out now for a little while. It's a game called After Party. Now, it's from this game studio, Night School Studio, and it's been released on Mac Mac operating system, PlayStation 4, Windows, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. So I personally waited until it was available on the Switch because that was kind of my platform of choice. Uh, I won't go into it too much, but basically... The style of the game is kind of an art cartoon style, and I prefer to play that kind of game handheld, so I like the option to be able to do that on the Switch. So I kind of had been waiting for this to come out because I'd seen the trailer, I'd heard a bit about the game, and I mentioned it on Zero-G when I kind of heard the news about it because I was very, very excited, and that was because I had played Night School Studios' previous game, which I also covered on the show, called Oxenfree. I'm not sure if you remember that one Rob, but basically the premise, yeah, so the premise of that, I loved it, absolutely loved it. It was quite a spooky little supernatural story, but it hinged on a group of friends going to an island, very immersive. It sort of had this excellent narrative structure where each of the dialogue decisions kind of crafted the story for you, and it was felt very original to me, and it's a similar kind of cartoony type style. But it's a game that I often recommend to others who are looking for a nice little narrative game that's a little bit different. It's not like a shoot 'em up. It's not a puzzle game necessarily. There's a bit of a puzzle element, but it's more about playing a story, which I there's a definite time and place for me for those kinds of games. So that one came out a couple of years ago, 2016, 2017, was released on different platforms. So loved the game Oxenfree. So when I heard they were doing a new game, I was here for it. I was ready to buy it pretty much straight away. Um, So, yes, After Party is their follow-up release. The basic, let's start with, I guess, the basic premise of the game. So I guess your logline for it is that you drink your way out of hell 
by <laughs> out drinking Satan. <laughs> do, you have so, to do, do you have to do it at a crossroads while playing a fiddle? Well, they incorporate a lot of kind of mythology and they talk a little bit about, um, I mean, the Bible, which I guess you could also call mythology, and different elements and different portrayals of hell and demons and that whole story in this. So it's actually quite interesting they weave some of those story elements in. But, yeah, it's very much portrayed as it's this boozy party and they've kind of crafted this story to be centred around these two college friends. So they've wound up in hell and they're not sure how they got there, how they died, why they're there. They're a couple of best friends who just graduated from college. Their names are Milo and Lola and (laughs) very hard to say fast five times. (laughs) And um, it's, I mean, the premise sounds dark, but it's very much a fun, it's meant to be, uh, it's in this very colourful style and basically the puzzle of it is you have to kind of get out of hell. So you're, you're there and you've got to kill some time, so to speak, before you can kind of, um, you play as these two characters and you've kind of got to figure out the next move and who to speak to next and how to get to your final goal, which is this drinking contest, I suppose. I, I, want, um, I want to go to that place. <laughs> it's very fun. Like they definitely have a lot of fun with kind of the um, the ideas they throw out. Like they have this Twitter feed, but it's all these horrendous tweets, a lot of which are quite funny, some which are like miss the mark a little. But there's this kind of crazy uh characters that are all laid out just little side that you're walking past you hear little bits of dialogue or little tidbits because the game is pretty much involves you going from bar to bar you're drinking cocktails there's a lot of hellish exposition and these little mini games and quests as you kind of walking around trying to um find well for a start you need to locate satan and then you need to outdrink some of his buddies before you can outdrink him. You know, the typical small bosses before you can get to the big boss. <laughs> Who is the um, big boss? <laughs> well, in this case, it is Lucifer Morningstar, of course. Oh, my and God. <laughs> we do meet him early on, but then obviously you have to go on a bunch of, um, you know, convoluted paths before you can kind of finish the story. But it's, it's sort of asking you to make these different choices as you work your way through the game, and they're largely dialogue choices. So you'll interact with different characters, you have different dialogue prompts and different response options based on what kind of drinks you've consumed. So you might be more ballsy with one kind of drink or you'll speak in puns with one kind of drink and you can pop from place to place in. They've got like a demonic elevator and you've got your own kind of <laughs> underworld taxi that you you can catch around through the across the river, dead bodies or whatever. I'm, I've certainly been in some in some uh, evil elevators in my time. Exactly, exactly. And this this is sort of they're building a lot on this idea of. I mean, I guess it's kind of what shows like the good plays and things do, and um, Sabrina, which we enjoy how they kind of. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just thinking that, I mean, you've got Lucifer Morningstar and they're in a trip to hell. This is like a crossover between the series Lucifer and Sabrina. Exactly, exactly. They're, they're playing off this kind of tongue-in-cheek approach to um, hell, Satan, all that kind of stuff. So, Can I, can I, I guess... ask, can I ask mm. why? Do you prefer, because, look, I, 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 
I was I started off with um, games that basically were shoot 'em up games. Um, mm. You know, that sort of even even Pac Man is really an eat 'em up game. Um, <laughs> yeah. But n- now, of course, we have games where you have to build things and accumulate resources and uh, have bases and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like that modern dimension to gaming? Um, I do. I think the thing for me is I it's sort of I'm a, a wide um, genre reader as well. Yeah. So I it's I'm similar with games. So for me, there's a time and a place for different styles of games. So I mean, as we've covered, and don't don't prompt me further, or I'll be here all day. I've been enjoying Animal Crossing, which is a very different type of game. It's you know you're getting you know, you're getting resources. It's just like a little kind of simsy thing. But I also really like a good zombie first-person shooter. I also really like um, sort of ones that you can play online with friends as well, that kind of quest element. And I think what I love about games like these types of after-party oxen-free games is, and there's a lot of games that fall into this category that are kind of a newer indie style of storytelling through the game uh, through the game medium, I guess. So things like Firewatch or Gone Home or Life is Strange, they're all games, but they're largely a type of story that you can kind of play. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's definitely a type of game that I really enjoy. But that being said, like I think there's definitely, I really also like games where, you know, you're just doing a battle with some friends for 20 minutes as well. And I think that's what's great at the moment is there's such a wide variety of games that you can get. And that's why I really like drawing attention to these kinds of ones because they're pretty quick to play, but they're a lot of fun. All right. We've had it. We've had our little cutscene there, back to the night of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's my, my side thoughts. Um, but, yeah, so, okay, so my overall thoughts on the game Um. There's definitely some, it's dark humour, which we always love and appreciate on Zero G. And there's definitely some funny elements and some excellent voice acting. Like I would shout out Dave Fenoy, who voices Lucifer Morningstar. He by far, his voice is very captivating and he it's a really nice piece of voice acting. And I don't often call out voice acting in things like games. And there's a lot of, I mean, it's just not something that's top of mind. Um, There's some good and interesting ideas in this, and I like what they're trying to do with it. I think some things are well executed in terms of this hellscape after party, and someone's obviously, they've had a lot of fun kind of stacking up the things, oh, hell would be this, this would be in hell, that kind of thing. And the art style, so it's kind of hard to explain, but it's this very psychedelic, um, neon kind of bombastic, almost eye-watering kind of colour palette. So it's super neon and it's very busy, but it's also nice. If you played Oxenfree or you're familiar with that style, it's a much more, it's a louder version of that. And I think the art style is amazing. I think it looks really good. I, I love that it's, there's obviously a lot of thought put into what they want to present with the game. I'm sure that hell would be full of neon, and it would all yeah, be absolutely. and it would all be annoyingly flickering. Absolutely, it would. I mean, yeah, like it'd just be out of the corner of your eye, flickering neon sign the whole time. Yeah. Um, 
And for me, the choose your own adventure element where your actions or what, how you respond affects the story, that's always a draw card. I really like that you could have a different ending to someone else or experience a different story. Um, but I guess what I'm leading up to is I didn't even end up enjoying that element, the game that much because I was fairly disengaged with it. Like, I mean, there's three different endings that you can get, but I didn't love the characters that much, like the core characters. I didn't feel very connected with them. And there's a lot of walking through environments. Like there's a lot of walking from A to B. And there's a lot of that in Oxenfree, but somehow that felt like a tense adventure, whereas this kind of just felt like it was a poorly thought out game map. I don't know. I mean, that seems a little harsh, I guess, but I just, I was very conscious straight away of how much I was waiting for characters to move across the screen. Um, hey, and if you, some of the, if you die, in, if you die in this game, where do you, where do you go? <laughs> I guess that's it. You, you don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You just re, you just respawn. Exactly. And you'd have to try pretty hard because I think, um, a lot of what you're doing is fairly innocuous. Like I know we're in hell and we're trying to outdream demons, but you're pretty much like having conversations with people to convince them to do things or, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. So <laughs> there's certainly um, very little. It's a low-risk environment, which sounds totally <laughs> ironic. Um, is there any but, opportunity for, um, for multiplayers on this one? No. So it's very much a little solo story type of thing um, and – I think, I mean, it would be nice in some ways because there's two characters if you could both have some kind of play in how that would all play out. But sadly, I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity. And, I mean, that's the thing. It, it was just quite slow. And then when things are quite slow, even if when things happen it's interesting, overall it feels uninteresting. Oh, um, it should, should never be boring. Exactly. Or should and boring it? Isn't, isn't quite, well, actually it probably should be, right? No, it boring, should be like the eternal If it's boring, it's a, good, it's a good place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, there's funny gags and I personally like the sound design on this, which sounds weird, but I'm very into good sounding games. And I think the sound effects are great and, like I said, the visuals are beautiful, but I don't think it didn't feel like a game to me. I I probably, I, I mean, it's audacious coming from someone who likes to chop wood in Animal Crossing for hours, but it just, this just didn't quite do it for me. I think overall it's a very clever premise and there's a lot of good ideas and they're obviously very good at writing characters and narrative usually, but there's there's something missing, like the game part of the game <laughs> the game part of the execution was was a little bit missing. And that that's quite honestly my honest take on it. Like I still think that you it's an enjoyable little game. It's not very long. I think I mean it's not long in the grand scheme of things. Like it'd be under ten hours. Um and they do, do we, start to do some interesting how, things. How do we later, uh, can we um give it a we've not done this for a game before, but mm. um can we do give a yeah, nah, maybe rating for it? Look, I think it's a maybe. For me, it didn't hit the mark. I think some people might enjoy it, and I think I think if you don't particularly like what people colloquially call 
walk-em-ups anyway, it's not for you. But if you like a kind of some of those games I mentioned before, the slower narrative games, you might like this. Uh, I personally would have just played Oxenfree again with my time. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's a total nah. I do think there's some good things here for sure. And I think, like I said, there's some clever ideas. Um so, yeah, a little bit disappointed. Maybe I had my hopes were a bit high as well. Um, yeah, so a little underwhelmed. I guess that, that would be my final verdict on that one. Okay. And what's the game called again? Oh, yes. Ripped it to shreds and haven't even said its name. Uh, so the game is called After Party. It is from Night School Studio, and you can get it on Mac, Windows, PS4, Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch, okay. which is where I played it. Um, well, I was just you were saying that sound design is really important, and mm-hmm. of course, of course, um, the game music industry is massive, as in they issue soundtracks and everything. So, yeah, for uh, sure. I was, I was hoping you had a, uh, a particular pick for this one. Yes. So I well, <laughs> I kind of cheated a little because I this the soundtrack to this is very like. I mean, for lack of a better word, it's like very uns uns. And I just didn't feel like playing a kind of clubby track. So I've selected something. It's from the same, I think, group did the music for this. They also did the music for Oxenfree. So I have selected a track from the same realm that we're talking, but it is not technically a track from Afterpay, but it is from its predecessor, Oxenfree. So I thought that I would play that now. And it is called... The Beach, 7 a.m., and it is by a group called, I think it's probably, you would say it out loud, Scientific, but it is spelled S-C-N-T-F-C. So I'm not really going to venture too much further there, but the details will. It's an SMS abbreviation, I think. Yeah, I think um, we'll have the details up on the Zero G page anyway. But I thought we'll we'll have a listen to this. It's the Beach Seven AM. It's from the soundtrack to Oxenfree, the game. Hello, this is Graham Bond and my nemesis, the old fat Arnie Jack on Triple R. Yeah, that sounded pretty good, Megan. Uh, what I track was that? Was very mellow. So that's the Beach Seven AM, and it's by uh, SCNTFC. Uh, it's from the soundtrack of Oxenfree, a uh, video game by Night School Studio. Mm. That's very uh, artificially intelligent sounding, actually. <laughs> mm, mm, it is. It is. The, the, the track, not you. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of AI, and that was actually a pretty clunky segue. Um, I, I, as soon as you went into it, I was like, I see what you're doing, Rob, but I'll go with you on this. I, I click as I'm of. That's all. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Actually, that's not my pun. That was a title for a story. Uh, I click as I'm of, and it was a great one. It was uh, punning off of uh, Asimov's robots. Um, okay, so you know th- there was a regular <laughs> in uh, online Eurovision this year, mm-hmm. uh, which I haven't caught up with yet. But there was an informal one before that, an AI Eurovision con- song contest. So uh, this was set up by uh, a, a Dutch um, broadcaster, VPRO. And, of course, the, uh, the 2020, you know, live-action Eurovision was, was cancelled due to the, the situation. And so they got 13 teams together and they live-streamed them um, earlier on. Uh, and Australia won. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, there you go. Better than the Olympics. 
<laughs> so the Australian group was called Uncanny Valley, and they did a song that's called um, Beautiful the World. Or actually, I should say that in Australian. Beauty the World. <laughs> but in the... In the um, in this song, they're trying to uh, reference the bushfire season. Remember that? Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like we're sort of so caught up in the uh, the pandemic. In, in lots of ways, unless you're directly connected to those, everything else has sort of been erased, but not Absolutely. so. Climate change is still there, boys. Yeah. yeah. Still there. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's what the song references, and we're going to play that track here. Now, they haven't actually um, completely AI'd it. In fact, I think one the one that they got written completely by a computer came in last. Oh, <laughs> wow. So, so humans have been involved with it and produced it, uh, and this is the, the result. So here we go with <laughs> Beautiful the World by Uncanny Valley. Hmm, broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 triple R FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Ah, beautiful The World by Uncanny Valley. Australia's <laughs> uh, award-winning entry into the... Eurovision Artificial Intelligence Informal Song Contest, which was run by a, a Dutch organisation. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel okay about the fact that the one written completely by AI didn't do very well because it just keeps me confident that there's a ways to go before, you know, our robot overlords take over everything. Uh, so a bit of relief there. Well, I was listening to um, uh, a, a, bit, a news article about um, uh, a, a lawsuit that was being levelled against Facebook for um, the the people who are the content screeners, basically. Mm, you know, yes. You know when you press um, when you press get rid of this uh, this ad or whatever. Mm. I don't want to see this. Well, they're actually people who look after all of that, and when, if you complain and, and they have to look into it, which must be a terrible job, and indeed it is, and so there's this uh, class action suit um, that involves all of that. Uh, I think it was success- successful too, by the way. Um, but anyway, um, I figured that what will happen is that we'll invent an AI and straight away we'll put it in charge of content screening Facebook Mm. and social media, and that's when it will turn rogue and kill us all because it will find we're a waste of space. Yeah, yeah well, it will absorb all that horrible content that people are putting out there and, yeah, yeah exactly, take its revenge. Mm. Something, yeah, well, I mean, there'll be AI murder mysteries, which which we have seen actually before, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey and um, oh, there's an old uh, Julie Christie movie called Demon Seed where I think the um, the, the house computer goes, gets buggy you know lots oh, of yeah bugs. and there's the infamous um simpsons treehouse of horrors episode where they have the remington steel goes rogue on marge quality episode quality vignette yes well we're not quite there yet uh, because we've got a a, a human based a meat a meat bag murder mystery <laughs> basically <laughs> 
Miss Fisher and the Cryptic mm. Tears. Now, before the the pandemic really bit home here, the movie came out in the cinema briefly and blink if you miss it because then things started to go pear-shaped and I never got to see it. I was really, really annoyed at that. But it has come out on streaming in, in, in quick, smart fashion. Uh, and it's on, where did we get this from? So I rented it on Apple. So that was just the easiest thing for me. Yeah. And I was certainly really happy that it was available because I did feel, I, I did think of sort of, especially films like this, Australian films uh, who didn't get a proper run and just kind of the implications of that for the industry. So I was still happy that I could support it uh, through renting it. So you can find it on the Apple Store. Mm. So it's Miss Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears, uh, which is really should be written in three-dimensional um, lettering or perhaps in Art Deco anyway. Uh, now, we all know Miss Fisher's murder mysteries, uh, the, the very successful Aussie drama television series, which came out in 2012. There's three seasons of it and a spin-off series as well, uh, all based on Kerry Greenwood's historical mystery novels. Uh, and it's actually created by Deb Cox and Fiona Eager, and they're you know the showrunners, writers, etc. And so after the, um, the 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 series, the they've done a uh, a spin-off movie basically, which is a which, which is, it's impressive to do that. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it gives them an opportunity to go to more far-flung locations and tackle some meatier material. So that's kind of cool. I think that was a really nice idea to expand on mm. the show and that world a bit. And I also felt it was a natural, a natural progression too. The Crypt of Tears, while they're referring to the location in the Middle East, so basically we're talking of uh, the deserts and um, Egypt. They start out in Cairo, um, so. To me, this is very, very familiar turf. Uh, it's it's like um, Stargate or uh, the Fifth Element or the Mummy or any of the other beings. All that good. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the Eternal Pyramid scheme of um, of mysteries set in in the exotic East uh, or the Middle East in this case. So, Romancing the Stone. Hmm. That was a good one. And of course, if you want to get into the death on the Nile sort mm. of territory. That's that's more yes. to the point. So think of all those things sort of munged together without, without the science fiction and fantasy elements. <laughs> and some fabulous costumes to boot instead oh, as well. Always. Um, mm. The Miss Fisher Murder Mysteries television series was known for its absolutely gobstopping costumes. Um, and they were actually almost a character in themselves, Marion uh, Boyce did those back in the uh, the series. I'm yeah. not sure who's done the ones for this one, though. Uh, Hopefully they've brought her on, but whoever's done it, they've done a beautiful job. Yeah, not quite the, not quite the same level. Um, and here we are talking about the costumes before we... <laughs> I know. Sorry, I took us on a different path. <laughs> we did, but that's all right. Like I said, they're, they're an element in themselves. So basically, uh, if you're not familiar with a Phryne Fisher played by Essie Davis, um, She's a, a female uh, PI in 1920s Melbourne, and here she is. This this one picks up after the uh, the end of the original series, but before that modern spin-off that they did, which was set in the 1960s. Yes, which is like a separate thing. Mm. Um, and basically uh, she is trying to solve a, a bit of a mystery about a, a massacre that happened out in the desert. 
Um, so it's sort of like a, a historical event in their terms as well. So it's before, well before the 1920s. And this revolves around the, um, the difficulties of uh, British rule in Palestine, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is good. It's a really interesting historical story there with lots of nuance to it. Um, so they've actually swanned off to Morocco to film this rather than, um, rather than Egypt. Morocco is the peaceful place to go. If you're going to film a television um, series, I think it's also because they like to go to the bazaars there and, you know, maybe they get tax credits or something. Low tax. Yeah, tax breaks for sure, I was going to say. Now, of course, we know Essie Davis from things like The Babadook. The Babadook, is it? Oh, yeah. Yes. Babadook. Babadook. And um, uh, was it the uh, the other Netflix movie, actually, um, True History of the Kelly Gang as well. Oh, that's right. Hmm. Yeah. Which her husband... Um, directed? Uh, Justin Kurtzel. Mm. So that is to say not Fryn Fisher's husband, but Essie Davis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's so the heart of this show. She is, with a with a bobbed haircut and um, her uh, stylish <laughs> and, and improbable costumes that she can get around in in any situation. So we Heels, first, whether she is just, yeah. <laughs> but she can pull it off. Basically she does everything that Indiana Jones does but in heels. Exactly. Mm. And and her signature weapon is a, a, a gold-plated revolver. But she can use anything else from fencing foil to flying a biplane to... Yeah. Her wits. Her wits, yeah. She reminds me of actually um, a lot of the early uh, stunt woman type actors who mm. were um, in Hollywood or bo- even Bollywood like uh, Fearless Nadia over in... Um, in India, uh, you know, um, and what's his name, uh, Gibson, I can't remember the rest of her name, but Gibson in um, in the US. Um, so there's lots of uh, stunts in this to open with. There's a big, a great little, um, I almost hesitate to call it parkour, but it's, um, <laughs> but it, it does yeah. remind me of the opening of one of the, uh, the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Yeah, you love a bit of a street chase. Yeah, that's great. I really enjoyed that. Um, okay. And the music track that, that, that accompanies it's really good too. Uh, Greg J. Walker is the um, the uh, the composer of the soundtrack. And let's give you a bit from the Miss Fisher series. And this is actually the main title theme for the television series uh, by Greg J. Walker. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. There we go. That was the main title theme to the Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries television series, which is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the MF and the Crypt of Tears, the feature movie spun off from the show. Uh, Greg J. Walker is the composer of that very characteristic mm. swing. Oh, I was going to call it the swinging 60s, but it's not. It's the flapper era, <laughs> the mm. roaring 20s theme. Okay, so, yeah, the movie, uh, they swan off into the desert at various times. They come back to Australia, so we get to see the, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Rip and Lee, the composite, the composite headquarters, which is Rip and Lee and I think uh, Werribee Park mansions. Old school Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny if you've been to both because, like, the walk in through the front door of Rip and Lee and then suddenly you're in, in, in Werribee the Werribee. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they've got Nathan Page in there as well, playing Detective Inspector Jack Robinson, who is the 
who has been for three series of the television show the the uh, the almost love interest. So we've got that that sort of classic unrequited love. So will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? Is that going to be resolved in the movie? Well, we'll let you find out by watching that yourself. Uh, Nathan Page actually had a, a cycle, a professional cycling career, which reminds he me. Does of the, look fit. Yeah, which reminds me of the guy in um, uh, the Murdoch Mysteries, the lead actor ah. in that, who also is a cyclist. But <laughs> I don't know why that's important, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But Nathan Page has got this face that suits the 1920s and 30s and 40s. Absolutely. You know, chin like a rock. Um, he suffers uh, Phryne Fisher's teasing so indomitably. And and in this, this movie he gets some very dry responses to her. <laughs> thought. Good dynamic, really good, fun dynamic to watch. Even when they're standing in the rain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Miriam Margolis is in this again. She's a lot of fun, isn't she? Yeah, she is. And John Waters plays an old flame of Franny Fishers. Yeah, I was surprised to see him pop up there, but that was a bit of fun. We have, of course, interviewed John on the show uh, a while ago in in connection with um, John English's Paris musical. Um, Yeah, so, look, I, I thought this film was quite delightful at the start. Like really, really fun. There's jailbreaks, uh, chases through the streets of Cairo, um, you know, aeroplane adventures, trains, just about fun. It's, sash- it's sassy. Yeah, it's yeah. pacing. Uh, you know, and I, and I really enjoyed those bits. Um, then they sort of went out into the desert a couple of times, and I think they actually fell in love with their location a bit too much. It lost its way a little bit. I do agree with that. Mm. And, and and I was a kind of thinking, oh, maybe this is not like like an excellent first two reels and the third reel, you know, not quite, yeah, not quite where it could have been. And I mean, who knows? Maybe it's that longer running time, like adjusting that tone from like kind of an episodic to a longer format. But I do agree. I think there's so much delightful stuff here, but that lagged a little towards the end. I do agree with that. Mm. Um. I won't give away the ending, but I actually, no, I actually think that, I actually think that the story is actually quite good. Mm-hmm. It's just there's something wrong with the pacing in the third part. Agree. Uh, and I'm also surprised to hear someone as rational as Miss Fisher repeat that nonsense about the curse of uh, Tut Ankh Amun. You know, it's just yeah. It's, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of eyebrow raises, but they're out here to have fun, and I think the spirit of the show is very much that. So I was willing to go along for that ride. Personally. Mm. That was my... I want to I ask you, Megan, as our resident murder mystery buff, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you rate this as a detective story? Um, I mean, for me, I need a little bit more of an aha. I won't say anything more than that. Um, aha. I... <laughs> I think that there's certainly uh, the type of murder mystery that takes a lot from place, has a lot of adventure in it, but I think maybe it's just personally for me the ones I like are the cosier ones that have a really solid centre mystery. And I thought that some elements of this type of mystery were a little bit weaker, but that that's maybe my preferred kind. Uh-huh. I think it's it's um, they do a lot of good stuff. I think they know the mystery formula. Um, but I, I, I was a little. I would have liked to see a little bit more 
a little bit more in the, in the uh, detectiveness of it, mm. if you could say that. Okay. I think um, so too. I yeah. agree. Mm. Um, all right. And I, I think for me it was great just to see Miss Fisher in action again. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be one for the fans. Like if you're a fan of the show, absolutely check it out. Essie Davis is a delight. She continues to be fantastic in like just embodying that character totally. Mm. And it does do something different to the series. I'm not like, admittedly, I'm not well versed in the series. I really should be. It's you should right, right up my alley. I really should be. Uh, I do like that it's tried to take some strides and a couple of risks here. So I do pay it some credit for that for sure. There was an excellent, one of the standout things for me, apart from I mean, the locations and everything were just brilliant and the costumes uh, and and some of the CGI was a little bit naff. Yeah. A little naff is the perfect word. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but that's kind of the vibe too of this series and movie. It's very in keeping with that sort of uh, retro action adventure mystery. It's not meant to be super polished. But in a, in a way it also fits some of the early movie serials and stuff. And there was a scene where where they're having a, an adventure on, on top of a moving vehicle. And I, in my head, I knew how exactly how it was done. You know, like they've got, they've got a, a red rattler train on the back of a, um, a semi-trailer and they've got a wind machine going, you know. It, it, I thought that's exactly how this has been done. I could be wrong. could be totally wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> but then again, there's some really, there's a really great shot, which is in the trailer where a guy um, walks backwards into the misty rain in an alley. Ooh. That's a brilliant shot. I just think that is so classy. Yeah, so your um, stylish hats off to Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. I think it could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, you know, it's not returned to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> It's just our, our yardstick for everything in this realm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think it's solid. I would have, you know, I think maybe some people would just be happy to be in that world again. Yeah. Like I was. Viewers. I was. Yeah. Um, so we'll have another track from the Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears original motion picture soundtrack album. Again, the composer is J- Greg J. Walker, and it's all of you. It's a duet featuring Andrew Nolte and Vanessa Ferdinandez. And it does it does reprise the uh, the Miss Fisher theme in a slightly different tone um, with a little bit of different instrumentation. But then they start singing and everything is forgiven. <laughs> well, this is Annie Lee, and I'm Morn Kransky of the Kransky Sisters, and you're listening to Zero G on Three Triple R FM. Lock up your meat safe and beware of the machine with the claw. <laughs> All of you, a duet featuring Andrew Nolte and Vanessa Ferdinand, or Fernandez might be the right way to say it. Uh, Greg J. Walker is the composer from Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears, original motion picture soundtrack album. Yeah, and actually I would love to hear the Kranskys play that with their <laughs> their washing boards and their saws and, and so on. That'd be great. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that's about it for Zero G for today. Um, and we decided that we go out with a another Middle Eastern track um, for our weekly Bowie. And this is Yassassin, <laughs> which is Turkish for long live. And this is a remastered version from the Lodger album. And next week, uh, we may, amongst other things, have a look at the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt 
interactive special on Netflix. <laughs> oh, I'm so stoked for that. Uh, this will be my um, Bandersnatch from Black Mirror. <laughs> yes. <year. laughs> I, I love that they're doing this stuff. So, yeah, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and also uh, I've been playing Star Trek Starfleet Command Ooh. online too, so I've been gaming okay. as well. Uh, I, I don't, can't wait to hear that. I don't know if I'll do a review. I haven't clocked it. In fact, I may never clock it. In fact, I probably won't. <laughs> they will, they'll pull the game and turn it into a zombie game before I, I'm finished. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs> like they did to my Avengers um, Alliance game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour, and this is Mr. David Bowie and Yassassin from his Lodger album. And uh, if memory serves me, it's really all about um, – uh, intolerance and uh, uh, and racial prejudice against Turkish workers in uh, Berlin, which of course Bowie has experience of in his though that particular year. So thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Kayla, our podcaster, and thank you to all of the hardworking crew at Triple R FM. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.